0: Before we kick off today's episode, I wanted to share a new offering for our rad community. One of the most common questions I get is, Kay, I've read the newsletters, blog, and listened to the podcast religiously. I'm ready to start the process of self-discovery, but I can't do this on my own. Rest assured, we got you, and we've added a new page on our website featuring a curated group of teachers and coaches. Whether you're stuck Committed to inquiry, but don't know where to begin, or just need help getting out of your own way, these coaches would all be great partners and are trusted members of the community. To learn more about our RAD coaches, visit rad.family/coaching. Again, that's rad.family/coaching. See you soon. Welcome to the RAD Awakenings podcast. I'm Kaehe. When was the last time you became aware of something deep, provocative, and uncomfortable? In these moments, we level up. In our work, our creativity, and most importantly, in our own heads. Each episode, our guests will describe their rad awakenings. The conversations are real, raw, and will share in both struggle and joy. Today, we have the youngest rad awakenings guest ever, Tiffany Zong. The Wall Street Journal called Tiffany the teenage venture capital analyst. And at the ripe age of 21, she's worked at Product Hunt, sourced numerous consumer investments, and now is the founder of Zebra Intelligence, a consulting firm for brands trying to understand Gen Z. We trace Tiffany's story back to Twitter, where as a teen, she was chatting with prominent VCs and founders, asking them questions about their businesses and sharing her views on her Gen Z peers. Tiffany gives us both a networking and Twitter 101 as she shares the importance of emotional intelligence on these platforms, and how she always led with the question, how can I be helpful? And how irrespective of your age, everyone has at least one thing they can bring to a conversation, perspective. Tiffany delayed college by a year to work as a VC, and once enrolled, she dropped out after a year to start Zebra Intelligence. We talk about different methods of learning, where college is important, and whether she laments the lack of a safety net in a degree. Now, as the founder of Zebra Intelligence, she's uniquely qualified to talk about college students and teens, the side hustle generation, as she calls them, who are deft at building e-commerce companies and leveraging their followings to make money. Please enjoy my conversation with Tiffany Zong. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Rad Awakenings podcast. Today's guest is my friend, Tiffany Zong. How's it going, Tiffany?
1: It's going great. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited for this podcast.
0: I am too. I know you got so many pearls of wisdom for us, so we're, we're going to do this, right?
1: Hopefully. Hopefully.
0: Let's get started. Tell me a bit about where you grew up.
1: Yeah, so I grew up in the Bay Area. I actually grew up in the East Bay in Fremont, and so that's where I spent most of my childhood. Then I moved to South Bay Mountain View Palo Alto area to go to high school and so that's kind of my childhood very different locations Fremont was predominantly Asian and the high school I went to was predominantly white and so that was a big shift in terms of just culture adaptation
0: where are your parents originally from?
1: both my parents immigrated from from China in their early mid to mid 20s so around 30 years ago.
0: Did you have like a kind of strict Asian upbringing? I feel like I can ask that question, having Asian parents myself.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I would say half-half. It was more so an internal drive to do things or maybe they were just really good at getting like motivating me to do stuff instead of having me do stuff or instead of telling me to do stuff. But yeah, so I think that what like my, my upbringing was primarily... Of course, they wanted me to get into great schools, a great college, extracurriculars, sports, like 10 million different things. But they also like they weren't the ones pushing me to to continue doing these things. They just wanted me to try out all sorts of different things. And I was in a very privileged position to be able to have access and be able to try out all sorts of different activities and sports and hobbies to see what i really liked so that helped me realize that at a, at a young age i was really interested in tech and startups and when i was super young i was I saw my brother come home with a little robotics thing that he made and i was like i'm going to be a ro- i'm going to do stuff in the robotics space but i just was really interested in being able to build things whether with whether with technology or with your hands or whatever it was i think my parents helped instill that in me at a young age since they both created different types of things, software, hardware, all sorts of stuff.
0: What's your first this makes me sound so friggin' old. What's your first internet memory?
1: My first internet memory? That's a great question. I think I got my first smartphone when I was fifteen. Okay. Sixteen. And so before that I had like an LG and then In middle school and then I had well I guess actually 14 years old I had a Blackberry and now I'm trying to think like internet as in probably middle school or even younger at the end of elementary school where I was playing on the internet and all these things and I had a Facebook when I was in middle school I believe yeah I got a Facebook when I was in middle school and my dad was like why so this is something that he said to me that has been ingrained in me and helped me kind of figure out what I wanted to spend my time doing and he said why are you the one who is like kind of you're the consumer of these tech products and Facebook and like you're addicted to Facebook instead of why wouldn't you be the person who's like building these fun products that everyone loves using instead of being the one who's wasting and toiling all your time away on these social networks. And like, this is when I was like 14 or 15 and I was like, wow, like there are actually people behind these platforms that I'm on and products that I'm using. And there's engineers, there's designers, there's marketers, there's product people, there's literally CEOs and founders and that I could actually get access to if I tried hard enough. And so then that led me to using Twitter and I was like, this is probably a more interesting channel to reach out to these people than email. Because I, I didn't even think about like email. I didn't, didn't really grow. I mean, I obviously didn't grow up in an email generation. And so that wasn't the first instinct. The first instinct was let me tweet at them and reply to them and ask them questions through Twitter and see if they respond instead of trying to find their email. I didn't even know where to start to find their email, honestly.
0: So you joined Twitter kind of in like as a 14, 15, 16-year-old?
1: I joined Twitter like three times and only like third time was a charm. First two times was me like retweeting random like nonsense like memes, memes. <laughs> <And> <laughs> the meme generation and then in like when i was 16 i made the twitter i have now which i used to reach out and ask questions to tech luminaries basically i used it the first two times it was just the, the wrong use case is terrible it, like, it wasn't an engaging experience because it was like i was just basically tweeting for my own Fun and second wasn't really interacting with
0: others so you get on twitter and you start to just directly tweet at famous people is that uh, probably skipping some steps but you mentioned tech luminaries so how does one go from like okay i'm not tweeting memes anymore retweeting memes to i'm gonna reach out to, to, to tech luminaries <laughs> what were the steps in between
1: So I really wish I kept the journal when I was 16 (laughs) around everything that I did and everything that I was thinking and like my thought process. Because now I'm trying to think back to like what I did back then. And I'm like, this is crazy. Like just this crazy 16 year old kid who is like replying to every one of Mark Andreessen's tweets and all of these things. So he was like one of the first people I followed on Twitter and he was tweeting like lots of tweets every day. And so I would say probably like, 20 30 tweets a day and so gave me a lot of opportunities to kind of reply and ask some questions and challenge viewpoints and i was like why do you think this way or why do you think that way and honestly a lot of these important tech folks or even celebrities they get a lot of trolls right and most of the comments and replies they get aren't aren't actual questions or maybe just comments or like not interesting or not interesting for them right and so that's honestly what I did. I just kept asking Mark and Jason questions on Twitter or responses. It was responses to his tweets. It wasn't like cold tweets. And it was really just engaging in these conversations and jumping into threads that it's not like I was given permission to do it. I just did it and hoped for the best. And so through that, Mark like followed me back after a couple of months. He was probably like, who is this kid who doesn't stop tweeting at me?
0: Where did you respond?
1: Yeah, he w- responded to me. And would reply to my questions and all that stuff. So I would not have kept tweeting at him if he didn't respond, right? It was just it was like a back and forth kind of thing. Like I was like, "Oh, this is cool. Like he's replying to me." And then it just kind of went from there. The information asked him to make a list of upcoming rock stars in tech and through that I somehow ended up on the list for whatever reason and it just kind of went from there. His followers started following me. I reached out to anyone who was like a VC or a founder So I honestly credit Mark for basically putting me on the map and helping me get those initial Twitter followers and who have now turned into like my friends. And so, yeah, I I just reached out to everyone who was like, who seemed cool and would be like, would you be open to grabbing coffee? And a few months later, after like trying that, I would change my tagline to or my initial pitch to being like, would you be open to grabbing coffee? And in exchange, I'll give you my perspective on anything consumer-related from a real teen's point of view. So that's how, kind of, how I got my foot in the door because they were like, "We don't really know any teens," so
0: yeah. Wow. And were your fellow high schoolers on Twitter at the time?
1: No, not well. I didn't follow them. I don't think so. I used it in a completely different kind of context. Yeah, it didn't use it to interact with my friends at the school, which I could see them every day, but instead interacting with people who I didn't wouldn't have access to otherwise.
0: So Mark puts you on this map of people to follow. You, you get some more like high-profile VC tech people, and then you basically cold-tweet them, asking them for coffee in exchange for sharing a, a unique perspective that they may, may not have, like a accurate summary.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Well, I, I didn't cold-tweet. I, I didn't really cold-tweet people. It was more so, I spent a lot of time nurturing these like relationships and making sure that they knew who I was before I kind of DM them. And so I would reply to their tweets. I would engage with their tweets, lots of different, different stuff on Twitter. And so they would just constantly see my face popping up and my Twitter handle. And, and they'd be like, who is this person who just keeps like replying to my tweets or whatever it is. But it's that consistency that a, a lot of people would give up probably after a few tweets or, whatever it is.
0: Did you ever feel like you were annoying them? A- and I asked that because I think I would feel like kind of self-conscious about that that you know, tweet someone famous, try to, you know, add value or be, you know, you know, say something interesting and then don't get a response and then kind of like, uh, crickets and then I'm like, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Like, did you have that go- those thoughts go through your mind?
1: I think because I was like so young, I didn't really think much about, like, repercussions or them being annoyed. But I also would think that, like, looking back, I think that Twitter honestly taught me a lot around, like, emotional intelligence and, engage, like, talking to people, which is very ironic because it's, like, you're behind a screen, you're behind a computer or your phone. But that's what I think I learned a lot from Twitter over the past five years since I've been on it. And so... Was I being like, was I worried that I was being annoying? I would probably gave up after if they didn't reply after like three tweets or whatever it was that I felt was the threshold. But I also looked for a lot of different signals, like if they liked my tweet, if they did this, did that, and that kind of would give me validation to keep going. But I, I made sure not to be too aggressive with these folks because they're so busy. It's not their fault that they can't reply or that they don't want to meet up for coffee. It's a time thing. It's not a personal thing. And if you if you step back and, and think about it that way, when you're looking at like rejections or people not willing to meet with you, it will put you in a much better, better mindset than being like taking it as a personal offense or a personal attack.
0: Yeah. Wow. God, I have so many questions. One around the fact that I don't feel like super versed in Twitter, but I guess... You know, Twitter seems to have been a gateway, and we're going to obviously talk about the other things that you've done. What are some of the if there's like a listener of ours that's you know late 20s to early 40s that keeps hearing about Twitter and kind of hears your story, story and and says I need to I need to figure this out. What are things they should definitely do or things they shouldn't do? Because I think people find it pretty daunting to just go online, have zero followers, and and like, what do I do next?
1: Yeah, so this is regarding Twitter, right? Twitter
0: specifically, yeah. Twitter, but you can feel free to expand it more broadly to. But like,
1: basically, a Twitter Twitter spokesperson. <laughs> <that> just, like, <laughs> well, I, I will say it seems, me. Yeah,
0: I, I will say it seems <laughs> to have opened so many doors for you and for me too. I mean, it's crazy.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're a pretty prolific tweeter now, so.
0: I guess with a lot of self-editing before I hit send uh,
1: tweet. So kind of advice for people just joining Twitter, right? And I would say, one, it's kind of difficult to kind of find your tribe on Twitter, but that's what's most valuable. And I would spend a lot of time, like, first of all, not giving up if your first response or your tweet doesn't get any, any responses or whatever it is. It's a persistence game regarding building like a network and brand on Twitter, I mean, it took me five years kind of to get me to where I am today. And I also like spent a lot of time just on Twitter reading tweets, maybe not engaging, kind of getting a sense of who is friends with whom, kind of understanding all the different types of nodes and relationships. It's a good way for people to kind of observe from afar, even without without jumping in. But instead of trying to just tweet out into the, into the ether and tweeting random thoughts and with no followers, and you're not going to get engagement. And that's that's just the loop that's going to keep going and going. You should try to jump into conversations instead and asking genuine questions. Don't try to be too aggressive or rude or anything of that obnoxious, anything of that sort. If you treat it like a good community where you're trying to learn things and meet great people, it, it's going in with that mindset versus being like, I'm going to call you out or I want to say that you're wrong or whatever it is what you give out to the world or to Twitter is what you're going to get back and so that's one thing and another is to not to have a personality to be yourself versus versus trying to be a constructed version of yourself so this reminds me of like when I started using Twitter I would be like I would just ask the dumbest or what I thought were the dumbest most simple questions I'd be like what is this? Or what do these mean? Or what do you mean when you say this phrase, or whatever it is? It's like, maybe like a lot of people probably pretend that they know more than they actually do. And it's being unafraid to kind of open up about who you really are. And doubling down on what you're good at, and what you have interesting perspectives on and having an open mindset to topics that you, you don't know anything about, or you're vaguely familiar with, or anything that you're just not an expert in instead of going in and being like pretending to be someone you're not and so that's also a huge thing i've seen and people really care about having different interesting perspectives as long as you're doing you're providing the perspective in like a nice manner and even the delivery of the content is just as important as the content or the tweet itself and so that's also a thing like i help my older friends kind of Learn how to tweet, and I was like instead of just tweeting articles out and like news, which I can find anywhere, you should tweet like your thoughts on it because people care about what you think, and this is like a top tier vC I was just tweeting links, and I was like I was like, you should add your your point of view to this and some commentary and and lo and behold, she started getting so much engagement and she got like one tweet that went viral around like something that she was thinking around or something that she just learned from one of her meetings. And so I was like, yeah, people really do care about what you're thinking. Not the links that you're reading, not these articles that you're just sharing. People want to hear your perspective and your side of the table because every single person comes from an interesting and different background. That was a very long-winded answer.
0: That's awesome, but no, I, I can distill it. One, you know, I'm listening to you talk and the first thing that comes to mind is, imagine you go to a party and you don't know anyone there. How would you act? You would look around, see who knows people, kind of find where there's a seam in the conversation for you to inject yourself. You'd ask questions in like kind of a very polite and open way and not try to, you know, bludgeon people with your opinion. And then from there, the momentum would build, you know, it's like how to be a social creature 101. It's just behind
1: the screen. A hundred percent. So it's like if you're at a party and you see this person kind of inching away or, not really engaging with what you're saying, then move on, right?
0: Yeah, wow. I'm definitely going to rethink all my tweets through the advice that you just gave. And no
1: hashtags, no (laughs) hashtags.
0: Oh, I've been good about it. Occasionally, I get tempted to do one.
1: You can only do it ironically.
0: Okay, that's good to know. See, I would have made that faux pas. And so a few years later, you're in the Wall Street Journal as the world's youngest VC, is that a fair <laughs> jump in the sequence of events? Yes. How the f-, f did that happen at 18? So we're talking 16, you're, you're tweeting with Mark Andreessen and 18, I guess, you, so you defer college or you skip college to become a VC?
1: So I was at product time between 16 and 18. Okay. And this was when I was in high school. In senior year of high school, I was working part-time at product time. It was basically full-time hours because I didn't care about school anymore. And so I just tried to spend every every available moment I had helping the team out with whatever needed to be done. I even Skype with the team when I was like in a class and when I was at school. And the <laughs> team was like, We have to visit you in school sometime. This is absurd. And I was like, This is really funny. And I loved working with the team. They're they're amazing people. And
0: I think we should pause for cause I think half of our listeners will know what Product Hunt is and the other half will, it will it will just sound like another internet company to them. But yes. Product Hunt is like a very crucial part of the tech ecosystem. So maybe talk about the, that for, for a second and what your actual title was.
1: I didn't have a title, <laughs> but for those that don't know what Product Hunt is, Product Hunt is a website and a mobile app that curates the best new products every day. And they have all the people in the tech industry essentially, from junior folks to CEOs, CMOs of large corporations and companies using it to, one, launch their own products, and two, discover new things that they normally wouldn't have been able to know about. So they're Silicon Valley's baby, and they recently got acquired by AngelList. So I ended up starting to work with them in January of 2015, worked with them for about six months. And during that time there, I continued meeting more and more VCs after school in my free time because I was just curious on how they kind of assessed startups and companies and what they invested in so that eventually I would be able to raise money for my company. And so that was kind of like my goal in meeting these VCs. It was to start building these, not to start building relationships, but it was more so I didn't think that far in advance. It was more so I just wanted to, learn from them, genuinely learn. And it's, it's interesting now that I think about it because a lot of people will go to these VCs asking for something. And it's not just asking for something material, whether it's introductions, whether it's money. Most, of, most people will go to VCs and ask for capital or introductions. And so I was just genuinely asking for, to, learn, to, to meet them and learn and to share my thoughts on any potential things they were looking at or whatever it is, because I kind of had this, I developed this mindset of how can I be helpful to these people I meet, to every single person I meet. Every time I met someone new, I would be thinking, how can I help this person? I didn't have a strong network back then, obviously, but I did have something that others didn't have, which was my perspective on things, and that I was willing to work hard, and I was willing to Spend time on these really janky early products and apps and give feedback to founders and stuff like that. And so kind of just went from there. And
0: before that, when you say you were just like trying to help, what did that help consist of? And I'm asking because I I would love for our listeners to be able to take elements of what helping a stranger means and, and think about if they could do it in their own lives.
1: Yeah, so I think the way I thought about help back then, when I had nothing, and was just a kid, it's not like I had money, it's not like I had a network or could make introductions. And so I realized that what I could help with was giving feedback and perspective on things. And a lot of these founders appreciated that because it's very candid feedback. And that honestly led me to where like what I'm building today, actually, where it's giving feedback, but in a more structured manner to bigger brands and kind of facilitating the two two generations, which we can go into later on. But it's kind of realizing what your advantages or your skill is over others and what you have that others don't have, and offering that for free initially, or whatever it is to get your foot in the door, because that's, that's kind of what I did. I would be like, yeah, all my friends use this app, or all my friends don't use this app, all my friends love Snapchat. No one knows how to use this feature or that feature. And it just provided really interesting insight for anyone who kind of cared about this next generation. It's not every day that these VCs are going to meet a 16 or 17-year-old who is just super candid around their thoughts on products, which may or may not be these VCs' investments and stuff. And so I was just, from the start, I was just very brutally honest. And that's kind of what my brand is also around on Twitter and just in general, in real life. It's just not being afraid to, to be honest about how terrible a product is or looks or, or whatever it is. No sugarcoating things, which is what most people in the tech world love to do.
0: You've watched, you know, God bless you, my Snapchats probably at some point in your life. And, but one of the things I always talk about on networking is do free work. And you, know, you were 16, 17, 18 when you were doing it. I was 21. I still do free work. Lots of it. I'm f- fucking 38 years old. So it, it totally resonated for me because I know we have a lot of finance people. What I would do, which I guess is kind of the equivalent of what you did is there are all these hedge funds and they all had pitch decks. And I was an investor in hedge funds. And so I would say to them, like, I can give you feedback on your pitch deck. I've seen thousands of them and there are certain things that work and don't work and it was like i didn't expect anything but i would offer that up for people who i thought were a cool or interesting or that that you know i saw some future collaboration with them so that advice can really translate across a lot of different industries
1: yeah a hundred percent it's it's not being afraid to put in the work and i was like yeah let me know if i can ever help out with anything I, if i was a designer that's what I would I would offer help on that front I really did not have any other skills besides just knowing how to tweet <laughs> and
0: being Gen Z
1: and being Gen Z and so I was like how do I use this to my advantage and, and kind of went from there but lots of lots of kids these days <laughs> have a lot more than I do and in, in are really skilled and talented and can help a lot of different companies in all sorts of ways and break their break their way into the industry through that
0: you're like have this like kids these days if you don't mind me asking how old are you
1: I recently turned 21
0: <laughs> you're basically half my age <laughs>
1: <laughs> I get that a lot
0: I yeah hey.
1: or I get the it's great meeting you how old are you again and I'm <laughs> like 21 and they're like you're the same age as my kids <laughs> and I'm like I hear this so many yeah. times
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> A lot of things you're saying transcend age. So yeah, tell us about the work you did as a VC.
1: So VCs reached out to me when I was at Product Hunt through a friend who kept telling them about me and kind of my interest around being early on consumer companies and products and apps. And I just had a genuine interest in playing with really, really early stage apps and learning more about them. And Through that, a couple guys who are early investors in Instagram, Twitter, Grubhub, Stitch Fix, Snapchat reached out to me and I started sending them interesting companies that may be good potential investments. And so I literally started spamming them with lots of lots of different apps every day until they were like, This is kind of absurd. How does this kid have so many apps on her phone that we have never heard of? And through that this was when I was at Product Hunt and I was obviously I could all I was obviously playing with things that were trending on Product Hunt and that were getting a lot of clicks. And I and just playing with all sorts of apps. And so after that, after a couple months of kind of this deal flow that I had, which was which is very highly valued in the venture world and the proprietary deal flow that each person has is different and it varies. And so I had this interesting deal flow that these VCs didn't see. And so at the end of my high school, or a couple months before I graduated from high school, they offered me a full-time job. And at first, I was like, I was really confused. And I was like, isn't this a job meant for people 10 years older than me? I was 18 at that time. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense. I'm going to go to college. I was like, I was very set on going to Berkeley and starting Berkeley. I was already accepted. And the funny thing is all my friends in high school were were like, you're not going to go to college. You're going to, or if you do, you're going to drop out. And I guess both of them, both, both statements were semi-accurate. And I was like, no, 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 I'm going to go to college. I'm going to go to Berkeley this year. I promise I'm going to go this year. And lo and behold, I ended up joining full time and spent a little over a year at this fund, which had over 300 million in management and focused on seed and series a investments in consumer companies. And so I postponed Berkeley for a year or indefinitely actually and I decided to to try college a year later. But the funny story around Berkeley and joining joining this firm was for the first 3 weeks in August of 2015. I was very back and forth on whether I wanted to actually start college or not, or continue working at this fund, or continue working as a VC, because I was concerned that if I if I joined and started, joined the workforce now, will I ever go to college? And that was like a genuine concern for me and my, my parents. And they were like, we want you to go to college, and we not only that, we want you to graduate. And I was like, I'm not sure if like, I was like, I'll promise you that I'll go to college eventually, maybe like a year from now, because I just wanted to learn more about the venture side and the other side of the table to see how they choose what to invest in and all the little things behind the scenes that you don't normally see or hear about. And so spending a a year there was was great. I sourced a bunch of interesting companies during that time. And then a year later, I decided I was thinking around what, what my next move was going to be, whether it was staying there or whether it was going to college. And I decided uh, that I wanted to start Berkeley because I wanted to have some free time to kind of work on my own projects and explore what I wanted to build. I wanted to build things versus spending all my time meeting founders and investing in things, which is really fun. But I actually wanted to build products that people can use and are in the hands of uh, millions of teens or whatever it is, but kind of what drove me to to decide to finally start college one third for a year
0: Wait, can I ask you on, on the college thing you so you went to college because it was basically gonna give you free time to work on side projects. Is that, did I Did I understand you accurately there?
1: Basically, I just wanted to try working on my own projects.
0: Were you skeptical of college? like what, what was your view on college itself?
1: So going in, I was excited that I would be able to take classes in all these different areas and spend time learning things that I normally wouldn't have been spending time doing if I was just working in tech in San Francisco. So I was super interested in psychology and history and all these different topics. So that was a big driver of the decision as well, where I wanted to kind of, instead of just being thinking and learning about tech 24 seven. I wanted to learn all sorts of different things and have the time to do that. Cause when you're working full time, you don't really have time to kind of learn all sorts of things. And so I was like, this would be a good opportunity and, and time for me to, to have a better perspective on all sorts of different things that I should know about. But went to college and eventually was like, these classes are not meant to be really inter aren't really interactive, aren't really personal and the way of teaching is just hasn't been well done. And it, it's hard because you're, you're doing school, you're teaching topics at scale to lots of kids. And so that was my gripe with college where there are lots of interesting things I want to learn. But I figured the best way that I learned, I, I took a step back and thought about how I learned best, which is going directly to the sources, going directly to the experts and asking them questions. And that's how I learned a lot about different kind of industries within tech where I went to VCs who are experts in the space or CEOs or whomever was known as like a thought leader. I hate that term, but let's say a thought leader in that in that space that I'm interested in. And so if I'm interested in social psych or behavioral science, I will find people who have a PhD in that and have written a lot about it and written books and and blog posts and tweet a lot about it and ask them questions. Versus a more passive kind of learning experience, which I'm very, I don't think it's the worst kind of learning or educational experience for highest retention. Like there's no retention in that. And so I just thought it was a waste of my time, basically.
0: So it was really, again, I'm paraphrasing, so correct me if I'm wrong, but it was passive, maybe like too theoretical, and you're kind of removed from the p- practitioner of the of the idea, like, I guess, like gigantic lectures?
1: Yes, exactly.
0: But isn't there, like, I, I hear you, isn't there an element, though, like, it sounds like you're saying you're a strong advocate for self-directed learning?
1: Less so self-directed, but more so interactive and engaging, hands-on learning. I know that most people aren't going to be self directed learning.
0: But if you take something like, I could see how that definitely works with tech, right? Because you could go out, build stuff. But something like psychology or behavioral economics, behavioral science, like you need to like, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, like write papers and kind of like debate. Yeah. If you're doing
1: something science related, stay in school. But if you're doing something like, I'm interested in these topics because of how it's related to building products. So it's less so on an academic front, but I would not recommend dropping out of school if you are going to do something in science. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Get 4.0 GPA, please.
0: <laughs> and do you think though, like you probably on the extreme edge of, of entrepreneurship, but what is your peers is, you know, like your more entrepreneurially minded college peers. Like what's their take on college? Like not the people who want to go to med school or law school or be bankers.
1: The people who want to do stuff in tech, they also think that, have told me many times that they think it's a waste of time and asking me whether they should drop out. And I kind of walk them through a decision instead of just being like drop out, because I don't think everyone should drop out. There's a lot more to that in terms of thinking around what will you be spending your time doing instead? And who will you be doing it with? Who will you be surrounded by? And it's, you're like the five people you spend the most time with You're a com- convergence of of them and so all these different things that you might get out of college that would be very difficult to not get in college and so when I would help friends walk through this process it's like are you also are you happy right now where you are and or do you think you would be happier if you left and at the first Moment, if they're studying for a midterm or a final, or if they're taking a final right now, they're going to be like, "Yeah, of course I'm miserable," but I also have a lot of friends who who love love college and love being in school. It just wasn't a good fit for me.
0: You think about like the safety net. You know, you're, we're going to talk about your entrepreneurial ventures, but do you think about the safety net that comes with like a Berkeley BA or BS, and what Not you may f- have given up?
1: Not at all, because (laughs) I was, I mean, I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to work before that, right? And so I I literally showed that I could get a job without a college degree, but in a job in a traditional, a traditional industry that requires, that's mostly predominantly male. And it's, it's guys who have the MBAs, which is neither of those two. And so with that being said, I kind of just trusted myself and, and think that if I had to do it again and if I had to get a job without a Berkeley degree, I would hope that, and I probably would be able to, to do so.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So much, so much there. I'm thinking where to go. I guess let's talk about Gen Z and then we'll dive into what you're doing now. Some of the, the myths of Gen Z, I mean, I'm like freaking Gen X, so we've, we've skipped the whole generation in, in this podcast but the myths around like no attention span entitled like always on their phones superficial relationships through social media what are your general thoughts on kind of the like old old farts like my perspectives on gen z and and where where are we wrong and where are we right
1: right so short attention spans not true because if you think about it kids binge watch Netflix shows. And so that shows that we don't have a short attention span, if the content quality is very good and very high. And so the majority of the content we see nowadays is terrible, which is why most things don't can't grasp our attention for over a few minutes. But if you're able to create a piece of content that is engaging for the first few seconds, then you may may be able to retain them for longer. And so That's one common misconception. The other misconception is that Gen Z is lazy. And I love calling Gen Z the side hustle generation because it's side hustles right now because we're all in school. Or most of us, most of Gen Z is in school. College, right. right.
0: College and high school? High
1: school, college, middle school, all in school. And so they figure out how to utilize social media for distribution and reach and using that to monetize or monetizing their social media reach basically or other other ideas around how we can use social media to build new e-commerce companies or consulting groups or whatever it is they learn how to adapt very quickly to current trends and the content world and social media which is valuable skill that Gen Z has that millennials and Gen X don't have where we can we can monetize on a trend very very quickly and that ties to so so Gen Z is like a side hustle generation and very fast adapters and know how to use the resources really well
0: does that imply that they know how to code I know you you had alluded that Ryan from product hunt said you didn't need to code but how, do you, are you, how are you able to, to side hustle without like some, like what, I guess what skills do you, do you need to have as like a baseline to be able to execute on side hustle that is monetizable?
1: I think the only skill you need is to be able to think very creatively and use your resources well. You don't need to know how to code. You don't need to know how to design. If you're able to write and sell, you can get very far. In life in general. That's what I've learned over the, over the years. And so, even if it's just like I have friends who help companies with their Facebook and Instagram ads, and they're basically consultants to these companies, or I have friends who run really, really massive social media accounts and they land brand partnership deals with companies and are traveling all, all around the world, even though they are in college or high school or dropping out of high school to pursue this full time. And so there's all these different ways that they can kind of monetize social media. Like I have a bunch of friends who used to be Tumblr influencers and they had massive Tumblr pages and they worked with brands and they didn't really need to know any of these skills. But Gen Z does learn very fast when they need something. When they need a skill, they can learn it very rapidly. And so it's more so learning based on what they need versus what's good to have what's and what's also forced in front of us because we don't want to learn what someone is forcing us to learn we'd rather learn something that's of interest and will help us make money or help us make friends or or something of that sort so
0: is it fair to say that a lot of it does come down to having some kind of social following Because everything that you said, whether you're, it's almost like social is like the new newspaper, right? I think we used that analogy earlier. And so you can access people with ideas. You can get clients that way. Is it, is it key? Is it like, is it a non-negotiable to have some kind of a social following to be able to, to do these side projects, side hustles?
1: Well, they built these accounts from scratch, right? And so anyone can do that and Social media is just one area that I've seen a lot of friends have been able to make a lot of money off of or even becoming an influencer and in front of the camera themselves or making vlogs or unboxing videos or whatever it is. And it's like, if if you think about it, Michelle Phan started this whole trend way back. She's like the only girl who started on social media who's been able to build a company that's almost worth a billion dollars. I have so much respect for her because this is exactly what all of these kids right now want to do with the kind of reach they have and distribution they have. And so that's also tied to the fact that I have a strong belief that audience is at the core of any kind of successful, if you you want to build a successful venture or product or company, it's if you have an audience, you can do a lot with that. And that's why a lot of people try to be, social media influencers, or start and run these big meme accounts, stuff like that. But if you don't want to do any of these things, then you should learn other skills, whether it's product, whether it's design, whether it's engineering, and you can do consulting on that and make a good enough money, good some good money on that too. But you can also join Zebra Intelligence if you want <laughs>
0: Make money. <laughs> well, so we're going to come to that. I have one more question about Gen Z. The anxiety that comes with the uh, screens and that, you know, constantly being compared to across channels and, gosh, like revenge porn and like all that stuff. Like, again, I feel some part of me feels like it's just a bunch of like older white men writing stories about the anxieties of young teenage you know men and women. Do you have a thought on the kind of anxiety in general of your peer group?
1: I think social media has its pros and cons. And it's clear that with the communities that have been built on these platforms, that anxiety and depression is definitely a big danger for Gen Z and these kids who have grown up on social media and mobile. Because of the fact that they they can become so entrenched into building a separate version of themselves just for social media versus being their true self. And that's why I love these role models who are open to being kind of showing their blemishes, showing that they're not perfect and putting themselves out there basically and being an open book versus those who are trying to portray the best lifestyle ever, those aren't good role models because their friends are going to think that that's exactly the kind of life they live, where there's no problems, no mistakes, no nothing, versus every single person is going through stuff. And like people like Yara Shahidi, for example, and Larson Thompson, and Alexa Curtis, they all are incredible, also female role models who are just very open around their personalities and their life. And so I think that's key to kind of uh combating this kind of obsession for Gen Z where they have to show that they have a life that or, or they have these products or that they're traveling at these bougie places when they could be going into so much debt for that. For example, there's a recent story and there's many stories around how people who try to become influencers are like knee deep in debt in debt now
0: the dark side of the influencer life <laughs> it would imagine yeah. for every influencer there's like thousands that have failed <laughs> you just no oh, one talks about those but, of yeah 100 yeah. percent.
1: wow yeah
0: so tell us one year in college you, you, you had a longer resume than me after you know like after you dropped out of berkeley tell us <laughs> about zebra intelligence and what it is and and what's exciting
1: Right. So I looked at what I've been spending my time doing for the past four years, because this was one year ago, and tried to figure out what was basically my competitive advantage that no one else really had and how to leverage that and use that to build a company or product and scale myself out, basically. And so what I ended up thinking of was zebra intelligence, which helps consumer companies, VC firms, influencers, anyone who kind of wants to understand Gen Z will help them understand and reach youth better, more efficiently and effectively through custom research, trend reports, ins- actionable insights, interest to influencers for influencer marketing, helping them create youth advisory boards, and things along that genre, everything around Gen Z, essentially. And so If we think back to when I was 16 and I was giving these VCs my feedback on products, it's basically that, but at scale. And a real company has been built off of that. Because I realized that I love bridging the gap between the two generations and helping adults understand teens. That is what I've always been spending my time doing and vice versa. And so how do I use that to build somewhat of a platform or... A company and so that's honestly how i started zebra intelligence and i knew it was the right time because when i was in college at least 30 or 40 different vcs texted me called me emailed me asked me what my thoughts were on house party when that blew up right and that was the talk of the town everyone was obsessed with that company and they would ask me the same questions what Like, should we invest? Do your friends use this? Do you use this? What do you think of it? You're the only team that I know that used to be a VC and understands product. And so with, with that comment, and I heard that a lot from various friends, I was like, there's something, there's something here. And so Zebra, Zebra Intelligence is as much of a boutique youth consulting firm as it is a modern education company where we that's like the long-term game plan where we help teach high school and college students things that they need to know that they don't learn in school things around how to talk to adults how to cold email how to do double opt-in intros how to work with adults to come up with a project scope how to network all these different things how to build a brand how to Use like social media to meet folks and stuff like that. And so, all all these different things have led me to build the education side of this, where we teach college students, we put them through an intensive training program where we teach them how to do research and consumer insights. And they go and do the interviews with their peers themselves. And so, my thesis is that college students are going to be better at interviewing people their age, and understanding them and being able to write questions that will make sense and interpreting it in the right way Then people double our age who don't know how to talk to teens, don't know how to write questions in our language, which is very... I, I'm sure you've probably seen this or you probably think this, where it's like Gen Z talks in a very strange, different language than Gen X does.
0: I called Lil Pump, Little Pump, and like all these millennials who are laughing at me today
1: that's so funny (laughs) oh my gosh but um yeah (laughs) it's so it's so it's so funny i teach a lot of my older friends like teen slang and what's relevant
0: so the education part
1: the education part by the time like the goal is by the time they graduate they already have three or four years of uh, essentially an agency experience working with all sorts of top brands and companies and working with and presenting to executives at these companies, at 400 to 500 companies, at VC firms, uh, wherever, and they already have four years of experience by the time they graduate from college and they can get a job anywhere or they can start their own venture. Anyone who does stuff in product design, even engineering, or, or wants to start their own company should know how to talk to and interview users or potential users which is a skill that I think is important and is not emphasized enough. You don't, you definitely don't learn this in school. You don't really learn this even in your jobs. And being able to interview people, being able to talk to people in an unbiased manner is really crucial. And so we basically want to help build the next generation of leaders of the country, of the world through these soft skills or not just soft skills, hard skills too that they wouldn't have learned otherwise.
0: So is it if I'm like, hearing it all together, there's like a creative agency consulting for VCs, product companies, brands. And then is the education, the education of the, like the Zebra intelligence team, or is it an actual business where, you know, people are kind of like enrolling, but they also do work for Zebra?
1: On your statement around how we help these companies and brands with creative stuff. It's it, we help them primarily with research and interviews, insights. And so, let's say Postmates wants research done. We have our team of expert teen researchers who are in college right now execute uh, okay. that project. And so that's kind of how it, it it makes sense. Um, and it's not as convoluted as you were probably <laughs> thinking.
0: Are you familiar with the firm GLG?
1: Yeah, I know. I know the founders. So it's it's
0: like GLG. But instead of getting to like, you know, high profile doctors, it's for like masses of teens, basically. Yeah. Well, you know, GLG is a private company and is like extremely, extremely profitable (laughs) and valuable.
1: Exactly. I don't
0: think they took any funding. This is all through third party. I don't think they have meaningful external investors either, but no need to comment on that. Where do you see this five years from now?
1: Five years from now, I want to be known as the go to youth company, whether it's stuff around research, stuff around marketing, stuff around recruiting, anything. We kind of want to build this into the de facto. And then on the college student side, it'd be awesome in five years where these people are starting new companies. That raise money from VCs or are profitable and are able to say that they they actually learn important things from us that are helpful to the to them starting their company. That's what I would love to see happen.
0: That is awesome. Where can I sign up to work? You you said it earlier. Like sign me up. Like clearly, I need to know the difference between little pump and little pump. <laughs>
1: there might be a age issue here. <laughs> Don't kill me. But but yeah, 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 this is for anyone who's listening and has kids in high school or college. Please send them my way. I would love to talk to all of them.
0: Amazing. Where can people find you and and learn more about what you're building? And I'll put it all in the show notes.
1: Perfect. They can find me on Twitter, email, and they can even text me. So I'll go through that one at a time. Tzong on Twitter, T-Z-H-O-N-G-G, two Gs, because I couldn't get Tzong with one G, which is unfortunate, and I had to rebrand my whole self into Tzong with two Gs. You can email me at tz at zebraiq.com. You can text me, 650-727-9233. Don't dox me, Thanks.
0: (laughs) That shows right there that we're of such a different generation. I would never like give myself one not because like I don't trust what would happen, but it's just like such a, a foreign thing, you know?
1: Yeah, I would reply I reply fastest to text, actually. So if you do text me, that's gonna be the fastest platform. And email will be the slowest.
0: <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Well, Tiffany, this is God, I'm like I've learned so much. Honestly, I've learned so much from you we've been friends for yeah, gosh probably one two years now continue to be be blown away and just kind of catch your drift and, and launch my own thing right behind you
1: <laughs> <laughs> thank you for the nice words I appreciate it
0: awesome thanks a lot Tiffany thank you Thank you for listening to the Rad Awakenings podcast. For more information on all things Rad, including our weekly email newsletter, please visit us at radreads.co. This podcast is a labor of love and funded by the community's generosity. And if you're interested in supporting us, please join us as a patron by visiting patreon.com slash radreads. And of course, leaving a five-star review always goes a long way. Thanks again. And until next time.